Welcome to Walking in Faith with Pastor Rob Currington. This podcast is dedicated to helping develop lifelong seekers of the kingdom of God. Each week, Pastor Rob helps bring God's message for living to those seeking a richer and more Christ-filled life. Now let's join Pastor Rob as he shares this week's message. From my family to you, Merry Christmas 2013. It's been a great year. We have a grandson named Landon. Case closed. That's all the important news that there is. And so, yeah, so, is anyone here getting too warm? Are you? Okay, let me just go ahead and put that together. I know these candles up here just really just will get you out, but a little bit more people. But here we are during the Christmas season. We think about gifts. That's what everyone seems to think about. How many of you have ever believed that you have been given the worst Christmas gift ever? Have any of you believed, say, you'd you'd vote? Okay, how many of you re-gifted that? And... (laughs) How many of you sitting here say, well, wait a minute, we both have our hands up. What does that mean? Well, in an article titled, The Worst Christmas Gifts of All Time by Kate Yarrow, she has some lists, and she takes a list every year of some of the worst Christmas gifts. And she gives them title. The first one I want to share with you is the passive-aggressive gift, or also known as the gift from the mother-in-law. Misbehaving mother-in-laws pop up whenever the worst Christmas gift list comes up. One lady marked, my ex-boyfriend's mother gave me a Hello Kitty coloring book and a battery-operated cellulite massager. I was 26 and weighed only 110 pounds. One mother-in-law was very gracious, very thoughtful, and brought a man a toilet, tank, and all. To make it much more interesting, she also paired it up with matching toilet bowl coffee cups. Now there's a thoughtful mother-in-law. One, for years, brought the daughter-in-law the most expensive makeup and perfume. But another reader says, I always got the free gift that came with it. Do you anybody have that? You have dueling, you have dueling daughter-in-laws and you're doing that? Well, here's the well-meant misfire. One husband brought a woman a toilet roll holder. I don't know if any women ever gotten that. It was nice wrought iron and had a dagger-like point, which she refrained from sticking him with. One husband decided that the perfect Christmas gift for his wife would be a post hole digger used to make holes for fences, deck footings, and such. And I'll have to agree, that seems pretty practical for me. It's either that or four new tires, right, for the tires. But there's then the all-about-me gift. You can probably receive that. It's one where all they do is they think about themselves. One wife says that the worst gift she ever received was a framed, blown-up snapshot of her father-in-law, which her mother-in-law insisted should be hung in her bedroom. (laughs) Another reader says, My mother would give me clothes in her style and size so that she could borrow it from me. Or how about the super cheap gift? One man wrote that I was once given one manila file folder. Or another who said that she was wondering and confused why a friend sent her a Barbara Streisand CD. I I don't know if that's a Barbara Streisand is a big gift that people give, but she got the CD. And why do I get that? Only to realize that when she went to Victoria's Secret, they were giving the CD away with any gift purchase. So there's those. But let's go to the worst gift. This is the Scrooge Award. One man said, I got a belly button lint brush, transmission fluid, an air mattress pump, and a chipped coffee mug. This man did not go home empty. But the worst gift of all 
also comes from a mother-in-law, and that was a flame-throwing weed killer. Now, man, that sounds like kind of it. This is, so we're talking a flame-throwing weed killer. Where would you even buy such a thing? But, you know, we're in that type of thing where giving gifts sometimes can be very, very stressful. Sometimes it can be lighthearted. Sometimes you can throw your personality in there. But many times we're always looking for that perfect gift, are we not? Something that shares just what we feel about this person and who this person is, and it says something about us. And that's what we do. We search high and low for that perfect gift. We have to ask the question, what is the perfect gift? For every person, it's different, is it not? Answer.com, and by the way, that's where all people go for answers now, is Answer.com or Wikipedia. That's where all the smart people go, right? It says that the idea perfect gift is often something with some kind of sentimental value. It means something between the giver and the one they're giving. And I want to tell you today about what I believe is the most perfect gift from God the Father. One that is a sentimental gift that has much meaning for not only God, but also for you and I. And Father, we ask that you join us this morning as we explore what is that perfect gift. Father, with all the hustle and bustle, with all the news and everything else, that seems to just uh, vie for our attention. Give us this 20 minutes right here to give clarity of thought that your Holy Spirit may come in and, and speak to us from your word. We thank you for your word. That in itself is a gift, but it shares with us with the one who is the most perfect gift of all. Join with us this morning as we share this. We pray this in the name of your Son. Amen. So I want to talk about the thing that you truly need. That one ideal, perfect gift that you and I need and that you and I ought to desire because really sometimes that's the problem. You and I have many, many wants. There are many, many things that you and I desire, but they're not always things that we need. And many times we fight against the very things that we need. But I want to share with you is God has not only given you something that is not only your greatest need, but he's also willing to give you the desire to want it and to yearn for it. And so with you, I'm going to ask you to just take your Bible as you have it, Ephesians chapter 2. It's what I want to share with you is what you really need is the perfect gift. You need the perfect gift. And we find it in that scripture reading that we read earlier with Randy. It's found in Ephesians chapter 2. And look with me as we look at the first three verses. When God is saying, and you were dead... In the trespasses and sins. So you and I all of a sudden find out what we truly are and who we truly are in, in ourselves. Before you can give the perfect gift, you need to know the person, do you not? For me to give a gift to Dustin, I need to know who Dustin is. You, we need to know that person. If you want to wind up on the worst gift, then you give somebody something that you want. And many times that's what we do, right? I'm so glad my kids are now at the age where really we're wanting the same things. You know, we can go to Best Buy and get the coolest electronics, you know, because we're getting older, we're getting closer to the same wants and things. And, and I find myself, when, I, when, I, when my kids were small, I, I'd buy them the toys that I would want to play with them because, man, they're going to make me play. And I always got the ones that had no batteries and no small parts, and it never should never say assembly acquired. Amen. Never, that, don't give me a gift that has those types of things. Now, as a grandpa, all those rules go by the wayside, and he's going to find out this year. But he finds out what we truly are. 
So let me share with you, as we read Scripture, who you and I are. And we were dead in our trespasses and sins, he opens up. But then he goes on and says, in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. So who are you and I? The Bible says that we were dead and that we were sons of disobedience. We were people who followed the wrong course in life. He goes on to say in verse 3, Among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and look at here, and were by nature what? Children of what? Children of wrath like the rest of mankind. You and I usually don't like to hear these types of things. Because really the Bible is all about love, right? God is a God of love. Don't tell me about a God of wrath. There's a song that we sing called In Christ Alone. I don't know if, you've, if many of you that are here for the first time have ever heard of this song, but it's a great song that just shares the gospel of Christ. And in it there's a phrase that says, and the wrath of God was satisfied. In other words, in Christ, the wrath of God was satisfied. Great song. But many denominations and churches and religious organizations, when they make out their hymnals and when they sing their song, they always want to take that part of it out and instead put, and in Christ, God's love was magnified. That sounds great, does it not? I mean, that's a great, and let me tell you, that would be true. But it's not in such that they want to magnify God's love as much as they want to de-emphasize God's wrath. See, many of us feel that way. Is that God is just a God of wrath, but let me tell you, He is a God of love. He's a God of love and mercy and grace, but He's also a God of justice. He's a God of wrath. What one of us would want a God who lets evil go unpunished? who would let wicked go rampant without any accountability. But we have a God who says that one day, that all will stand before him. And I don't know what you think of yourselves or what you would, how you would describe yourselves, but for many of us, we never would have described ourselves as rebellious children or disobedient children. We definitely would not think of ourselves as children under the wrath of God or rebellious. We wouldn't think of ourselves as following after our own passions and desires, but yet Scripture takes a knife off and cuts right through and exposes who we truly are. And see, what you and I need a perfect gift. God has a gifted mind. We always talk about Santa, right? Santa knows who's naughty and nice. To those who are good, he gives good presents. And to those who are naughty, he gives a piece of coal, right? God knows who's naughty and nice. He knows who's good and who's evil. God desires to give good gifts. And in it, we need to understand that God says that you need something more than what I give. Because really what you and I deserve is not something that you and I want. You see, what you and I need is life. You think you have life. You think you might be enjoying your life. But let me share with you, we're deceived, the Bible says. It says that our eyes are blinded. We have scales on them. We're covered with a veil. We cannot even see what manner of life and hear 
In this passage, Paul exposes the very nature of you and I when he says that we're children of wrath by nature. It's a phrase, it's a cliche, I guess, that I've been saying for some time, in which you and I many times say, well, I have no problem with God. But again, what do I always say? God has a problem with you. He says that you are sons and children of disobedience. And you and I need life. And the question you may say was, why do I need any gift? Why do I need life? Well, it's because the wrath of God abides on all. The Bible tells us that the wages of sin is death. It's appointed for man once to die. And after that comes the judgment. None of us can escape that time. We all will face him in one moment. We'll either face him ready with the gift that he's given us, or we'll face him with empty hands and empty brags. The problem is, is you and I cannot avoid this judgment. We cannot appease God with good works. We cannot appease God by trying to be obedient. We cannot appease God with, with a sparkling personality and charisma and talk our way out of it, as many of us are inclined to do when we find ourselves in trouble. We can't lie our way out of it. We can't try to change his mind. God says he is a good and just and wise king. And we stand before Him. You see, what you and I need is a perfect gift. And that perfect gift is a Redeemer. You and I need a Redeemer to pay for our sins. For the Bible says that we have disobeyed God. Sin is our inability to conform to God's moral laws. In our attitudes, in our acts, and in our nature. Anything within us is not able to appease God. For the Bible says, all have sinned. And all have fallen short of the glory of God. Whether you're Mother Teresa, the Dalai Lama, Gandhi, or anyone else, you fall short. David, the one who says in Scripture, is he was a man after God's own heart, could not stand before God of his own accord. He too needed a Redeemer. So you and I need a Redeemer to pay for our sins. Someone who will say, well, I'll take the penalty of sin, the penalty of death, and I will pay for it. There's a debt that needs to be paid, hence the wrath of God. But we also need a Redeemer, as you see on the screen also, is to earn our righteousness. And you and I understand this. Has anyone, have you ever had anyone break your heart, stolen from you, did something bad against you? Anyone? Yeah. Have you ever forgiven that person? Okay, if you haven't, then you need to. But let me tell you, all of us have, for the most part, experience in which we've forgiven someone. But what do you and I do? We may forgive that person, but you and I also don't give our complete trust to that person. Is there not still something between them? If they've stolen for us, we may forgive them, but we may still be wary of them. And so for God to forgive our sins is not enough. For we need still to stand before Him as one who is right. We've been hitting this quite a bit. I'll bring your attention to any of our messages over the last few months on our website. If you need that, it's on the bulletin, and you can find your way to our messages on what the gospel is and why we need someone to pay for our sins and also to pay or earn our righteousness. Look what it says. 
where it says, none is righteous, no, not one. That's another way of saying we've all sinned. No one understands, no one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. The bad news is you and I are included in that no one. And so you and I, to stand before a holy God, must have a way in which we are made right with God. And so you and I, the perfect gift that we need for children of disobedience, for children that are by nature wrath of God or objects of God's wrath, you and I need a Redeemer to forgive us of our sins and to earn our righteousness for us. And that's the perfect gift that you and I need. But here's the thing. Is you and I could not be that Redeemer. Many men have stood up over the times and said, we're that Redeemer, we're that Messiah, we're that man, follow me. But still, to find their empire crumbling and their legacy just another page in history, for no one could give us what we truly, truly needed. And so that brings us to the next first few verses in which we see that God provided that Redeemer. And how did God provide that Redeemer? Let's look at verse 4. For he says, but God, remember our state, but there's that but. You know what you do when you read something? And you do it, all. we do it all the time. You know when you see that but after something? You know, hey, you did a good job yesterday. Everything went well. I really love what you did with this. What are all of us waiting for? Yeah, the but. And what does the but say? No, it says, forget everything I just said, because what I'm about to say is more important. Oh, you did a great job, but you could have done it. Listen to this. You were children of disobedience. You were children of wrath. You left me. You were rebellious, but God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, what did he do? He made us, what? Alive, together with Christ. By grace you have been saved, raised up with him, and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. He's quoting there, he's remembering John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believeth in him should not perish, but what? Have everlasting life. We just shared that a little bit with the Advent. See, God is the one who does the work, and God provided what you and I needed. What does God require? God requires perfection. Matthew 5, 48 says, Be perfect, even as your Father in heaven is perfect. If you are not perfect, you know what else is? Is death. Is the curse of death and the penalty. And God requires that from all who do injustice, which you and I all fall in, no matter how good we are, no matter who we were born to, no matter what church we went to, God says that you deserve this and I require perfection. But what God required, Jesus provided. You see, God sent his son to be a substitute for you and I, and this is so important. For Jesus came to do what you and I could not do. 
For you and I could not stand before God and say, take me, let me be the penalty for that sin. Let me bear that weight. For we could not, for we were not perfect ourselves. How can one die for the sins of the world when he himself is full of sin? But Jesus, the Bible tells us, was without sin. He was God himself. For God himself says, I will go down and I will pay that burden. I will pay that penalty. For God sent his son to be our substitute, as scripture tells us. For our sake, God made Jesus to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in Jesus you and I might become the righteousness of God. So the perfect gift does not come because you and I earn it, we do something good enough for it, but Jesus says, here, I will do it, I will be your substitute. The one who knew no sin became sin for us. You and I know the story of Easter. As Jesus was on that cross, there is that time when the sun was darkened, Jesus was there murmuring, and he said, God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It was at that time that he was bearing the weight of God's wrath from all humanity. My sin, your sin, put upon him, the one who did not deserve it. Richard Herker from Learned Discourse writes this, Let it be counted folly or frenzy or fury or whatever. It is our wisdom and our comfort. We care for no knowledge in the world but this, that man has sinned and God has suffered, that God made himself the sin of men and that men are made the righteousness of God. That's the perfect gift. You do not have to pay that penalty. You do not have to earn your righteousness. For those who know that gift ought to say amen. Because there's no way for you and I to earn it of ourselves. And I pray right now that the Holy Spirit is now putting in your hearts to desire it. You might have come in this morning desiring many, many things. You are following, it says, the passions of your own desires. Following the course of this world. Following the prince of the power of the air. I pray now that the Spirit is working your heart and giving you the desire to see your need for this gift. For many people are blinded to it and hardened to it. Maybe you've heard this many times in many different ways, but yet you're here saying, just get over with, I'm done. I pray that God would break your heart now. And that should be our prayer this morning for those that are here. And for those that have heard it many times, you ought to be able to rejoice this morning as we celebrate that gift. How do you get this gift? Here comes the good news. For it goes on in verse 8. For by grace you have been saved through what? Yeah, it's not of your own doing, he goes on to say. It is the what? Gift of God. And not a result of works so that no man may boast. None of us could stand before God and say, look at what I did. Look at what I have done. If we were to stand before a most holy God, and he were to look at you this morning and say, why should I let you into my heaven? What would your answer be? You may say, well, I've done good works. I went to church. I tithe. I gave good money. I worked in the homeless uh, kitchen. I, I've helped those that are in need. I, I, my grandma was a Christian. I got baptized. I've got it written in my Bible. Let me tell you, all those things are worthless 
rags. God will say, depart from me, I never knew you. There's nothing that you can do. That's the whole point of falling short. But it's a gift of God. He did what I could not do. See, it's a gift from God. In the Bible, the apostle writes that a free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. And that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, and if you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, and you will be saved. There it is very clearly. Do you believe that this morning? Do you believe that the one, the Son of God, was born of a virgin, lived a perfect life, went to the cross and died unjustly for you and I, so that you and I could be raised to walk with him as he raised to walk on that third day? and that he's now seated at the right hand of God, if you proclaim that this morning and say, I trust in that, that God is satisfied, that's why that verse, God is satisfied from his wrath, that verse may is not a throwaway. It is the linchpin of you and I's salvation. If you believe that this morning, let me say welcome to the kingdom of God. Would you join us this morning? If there's anything you believe, believe on that. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. Would you say, Jesus is Lord, this morning? I yearn, please do not leave this building this morning and say, what great songs, what a beautiful children program, what a great church, what friendly people, and then walk off without the very need that you need. Grab it with both arms and pull it close. For Scripture says, For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Would you call on Him this morning? You will not be saved by anyone else. Not in your grandma's name, as precious as she is. You won't be saved by President Obama. You won't be saved by Phil Robertson. You won't be saved by anyone else but through the name of of Jesus. Will you make that decision today? The Bible says today is the day of salvation. You've waited long enough. A few days you're going to open some gifts. And they're going to be wonderful gifts because they're ones of sentimental value in which the person who gave them thought of you and says, this is what I think of them. And you're going to rejoice in that you're going to enjoy them. You're going to walk with a smile. You're going to hug that person. You're going to love them. You're going to say thank you. But here is the most ultimate power of the universe. Who says, here, I thought of you. I knew exactly what you needed. Let me tell you how much I think of you. Would you please take this gift? It's yours. Open it. Take it. Enjoy it. Live it out. You make that decision this morning? Don't wait. Tomorrow is not promised to any of us, is it not? Many of us could go just through this week. We experienced the, the passing of a great warrior of God. It was a great funeral. And our hearts go with the cantatas. If he was here this morning, he would share with you the same thing I'm sharing. Jesus be glory. But there's other men and women that we've seen this past week. Paul Walker, 
Ray Price, others. One day I'll deal with eternity. One day I'll deal with this. Let me tell you, you do not have that. Today is the day you will deal. For one day you will stand before God and he will say, what did you do? December 22nd, 1130, 1130 a.m. at OVBC. I presented my gift to you. What did you do? Would you claim it this morning? It's for you. You may say, okay, I grabbed that gift. I take it, or maybe I've accepted it sometime. So what do I do with that gift? Well, let's go to, let's look at verse 10, where he tells us what to do with this perfect gift. For many of us, we take gifts and we put them on the tree. Is anybody here, by the way, are any of you, do any of you have the strength of your personality to take a gift, put it on your tree, and to wait till after Christmas to open it? Anyone? Oh, there's a few of you. Okay. But for the most part, as soon as we put presents on the Christmas tree and they're wanting to open at least one present a night, you know, they want to do that 25 days of Christmas type thing. That's how my kids work. Can we get just one, just one? There's so many of you that are sitting there and you might have received that gift and you're just looking at it. You say, oh, well, I'll take it. But a gift is only good if you do what? Open it. Use it. Play with it. Whatever it is. Here's two things. Look at what it says. For we are his workmanship. Now look at that. What were we before in verse, verse 1? We were dead in trespasses and sin. We were following the prince of the power of the air. He says we were children of disobedience. He says we were by nature uh, children of wrath. But now what does he say? Yeah, we're his workmanship. Lovingly created by the greatest carpenter and creator of all time. He says, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for what? Good works. So we are to do good works. They have a purpose. Why? Because God prepared beforehand that you and I would do them and walk in them. So let me share with you two things. What should you do with this perfect gift that you truly and desperately need? One, you need to live it out. You need to live it out. 2 Corinthians tells us that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for Him, God, who for their sake died and was raised. Your life is no longer your own. You're to live it out for Him. And I pray that's why many of you are here this morning, because you say, I want to hear from the King. I want to rejoice in who He is, and I'm living my life 24-7 for the one who created me and find out what it is that he wants to do with me. You simply say, well, I know exactly what God wants me to do. Monday through Friday, I'm watching reality TV and watching as much TV as I can get. You don't know how full my DVR is. That's what God created me for. Somebody say, well, God created me to work 80 to 90 hours a week. Whereas some of you say, well, God created me to do my hobbies, or God created me to spend time with my children. All good things. And all of those things, well, maybe not all of those things, most of those things may be included in the good work. But you and I are to live it out. The fact that our sins are forgiven and that we have a new righteousness, a new standing, we should live it out, doing the works that God has created it for us. How do you find that out? 
I believe that's why you're in church. That's why you're in Sunday school in small groups. It's living out the Christian life in our walks and in our church and as our body as we build each other up. And then the next thing that you and I are to do is to share it. We need to share that gift. It's not enough to receive the gift and open it up and hold it ourselves, but what is it that you and I do? Look what I got. You know, that's how a child is, right? <gasps> Look what I got. Look at this. I can't believe it. For many of us, we open the gift. Oh, salvation. Does not anybody see that? That's private. I don't want anybody to see that. I don't want anybody to know that. If anyone knows I'm saved, I can't be on a reality show. I, I can't be a president. I can't do anything because people might find out what I believe. That's not what he says. You and I are to hold that up and say, look what the Father gave me. Boy, I would be hurt. My children took my gifts and then hit them and were embarrassed of them. Or wouldn't allow another child to play with them. Look what he says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. He says, all this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself. We were children of disobedience, but God has reconciled us. He has made us right with him. And in that, he gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against him. Amen. That's the forgiveness of sins and the earning of righteousness. And he entrusted to you and I the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you, on behalf of God, be reconciled to God. That's the message of an ambassador. Just as an ambassador from the United States will go to France, he'll hand him a letter, his letters of accreditation, and says, here's what the president says. He doesn't speak of his own authority. He doesn't speak of his own opinion. But he speaks that which the president or the Congress has told him to say. In the same way, you and I are ambassadors of Christ. And the message that we are to tell our friends, our co-workers, and our families is very simple. Let me say it for you. Be reconciled to God. Four words. Would you be reconciled to God? Please do not face eternity with your balance sheet out of balance. It's a losing proposition. It's a debt that you cannot get out of, and it is a payment, a penalty, too much for you to pay. Be reconciled to God. Live it out and share it. You have a perfect gift waiting for you. And I would pray that the Holy Spirit today if he has not as of yet, that he would work in your heart, he would draw you to God and say, here, take this. Father, thank you for that gift. I stand here this morning only to rejoice and to thank you for a gift that I did not deserve and that I cannot earn it myself. And Father, I pray that any that hear my voice, whether it's from here or any other types of recordings, or from what we share with each other, that our message be simple, be reconciled to God. Would you do that mightily this morning? And for those who call upon your name, I pray that you would give us the power 
and the energy and the desire to live it out and to share it with others. Thank you, Father, for that perfect gift. Let us rejoice in that gift this season. We pray this in the name of your Son, who was obedient, became my substitute. We pray. Amen. We hope you have enjoyed this week's Walking in Faith podcast. We encourage you to share this podcast with others in order to help spread God's message to all those in need. If you have any questions or comments, we would love to hear from you. Email us at walkinginfaith at orangevilla.org. You can help us spread this podcast by writing a review at iTunes. And don't forget to visit us online at orangevilla.org. There you will find more information about our ministry, as well as share your thoughts, submit prayer requests, and find out how you can help others to grow in God's love. Until next week, may God bless you in everything you do.